0: Individual psalms, like Psalm 23, have been cherished by Jews and Christians alike throughout history, and have pervaded Western culture deeply. But when it comes to the Psalter as a whole, few people know what to do with it. Is there any logic to its arrangement? Who put these psalms together, and why? Since the 1980s, scholars have endeavored to demonstrate the value of a holistic approach to the Psalter, some even suggesting that a plot line runs through its five books, here to challenge that trend is David Wilgren. In a moment, we'll be discussing his recent book, The Formation of the Book of Psalms, published by Moore Seebeck in 2016. You're listening to New Books, Biblical Studies, and I'm Michael Morales, your host. David Wilgren received a PhD in Old Testament exegesis from Lund University in 2016 and is currently lecturer in Norwegian School of Leadership and Theology. In addition to the formation of the Book of Psalms, he is co-editor and contributor to the book, Studies in Isaiah, History, Theology, and Reception, published by Bloomsbury T&T Clark in 2017. David, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be on.
0: Well, David, in some challenging ways, your work goes against current trends in the study of the Psalms. Why don't we begin with that context First increasingly, since the work of Gerald Wilson, scholars have set forth readings of the Psalter that aim to display its logical flow. Some even argue for a linear movement throughout the five books. Could you fill in that picture for us?
1: Yeah, that's a good good place to start, I think. Uh, maybe I could go back even further, just to sketch the picture of, of the state of the field prior to Wilson. Go back, perhaps, even to, to the famous scholar uh, Hermann Gunkel. He's uh, perhaps most famous for his work on forms uh, the the gatungs of the psalms but he actually devoted some part of his scholarly work to the organization of the psalms into a collection and and reading that chapter you quickly get a sense of his basic argument that content or gatung form played quite a little role in the organization of the psalms there was no overarching principle uh, but rather, uh, he saw the Psalms collections as a quite random collection consisting of compilation of of possibly privacy, previously independent collections, and so on. Uh, but his main focus was uh, on the on the last edition made, uh, and that, in his view, was Psalms three to forty one, uh, which he concluded was a kind of kind of a prayer book, uh, and that made him draw draw the conclusion that the entire book of Psalms. Once this collection was added, came to have a primarily post-Celtic and private setting. Uh, so that became kind of the the standard view to to view these psalms as kind of post-Celtic. And even his his uh, uh, student, Muvinkel, the Norwegian scholar famous for for the Entrollment Festival, uh, agreed with him in this uh, sense when looking at the final form of the Book of Psalms. And he actually po- pointed to Psalm 1 as a kind of motto that shed further light on the aim and use of the collection, namely as a, a book of pious meditation related to the ways of the righteous and the wicked. But starting with Westermann and Child, this this began to change a bit. Uh, I mean, Westerman noted that content seemed to play some kind of function, especially in royal psalms and hymns, which, according to Westermann, were clustered in a certain way that seemed intentional, although he did not unwrap this kind of redactional uh, intention any further, and Childs proceeded with his his kind of canonical approach and linked the function of Psalm one to what he described as a transformation of uh, the the words, the prayers of the people of God to God, uh, which were then transformed into God's words to His people. So together with Psalm two, the the, the juxtaposed Psalm there in the in, in the in, in the beginning of the Book of Psalms. Uh, a royal psalm, they introduced the theme of the Book of Psalms, which was then considered some kind of eschatological collection. So that was mainly the background. We had this idea of of uh, kind of a random collection, but small steps were taken into seeing that there might have been some reductional activity, kind of bringing this collection together and perhaps even indicated some, some ways in which this collection was to be used. And the strength of Wilson, who who published his uh, dissertation, the editing of the Hebrew Psalter in 1985, was that he attempted to situate this this discussion in in kind of a broader ancient Near Eastern context. So he started off by looking at Sumerian temple hymns and Babylonian and Syrian insipid catalogs and detected various ways in which these poetic compositions could be juxtaposed. Then he turned to the Dead Sea Scrolls and especially the Psalm Scrolls, which were being published and and made known to to a larger scholarly uh, uh, knowledge. And he detected similar techniques there. So that gave him a great arsenal of tools to employ to his primary material, the Masoretic sequence of Psalms that we often imply when we say the Book of Psalms. Uh, And his main focus was on the superscriptions, you know, these kind of, first lines in many of the psalms that attribute the psalm to a certain figure or speak of perhaps the psalms genre and, and so on. Uh, and he argued that these kind of features, the author designations to Le David or Livni Korach and, and genre designations, Shihir means more, uh, had been used and employed intentionally to create structures throughout the book of psalms. They demarcated sequences and often by means of changing the author designation. So, so when there was a change in an author designation, there was possibility that the redactors wanted to indicate what he called a seam, uh, a significant juncture. And the major seams were around the book of the book divisions, where Wilson noted that uh, a change in these author designations overlapped with a change in genre designations. So, for example, between books two and three, we have a psalm of Solomon ending book two and Psalm seventy-two, and then followed by. A Mizmor Asaf uh, in Psalm 73, so so that was strong disjunctures. Mm-hmm. And then he argued that the genre designations could also be used to soften for the transitions. So, for example, Wilson did not consider the sequence of Psalms 47 to 51 to include a seam, uh, despite that we have a, a, a shift from three Psalms of Korash to one Asaf and one Davidic Psalm. Uh, because all these five psalms had the same genre destination, the Mismore. Uh, so in this way, he kind of reconstructed or re uh, deconstructed the first three books of Psalms as intentionally gathered and highlighted the importance of the Psalms in the seams. Uh, and he conceived the other two books, books four and five, quite differently uh, with different techniques. But the the main thrust of his thesis was the same. It was an intentionally organized. Uh, book uh, with the seams were significant in developing the overarching theology in, 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 in this kind of book. Uh, so, by looking at these Psalms which were placed in the seams, he reconstructed two frameworks that were intended to guide the reading of the individual Psalms uh, a royal covenantal framework uh, with these royal Psalms and a sepential framework with these wisdom Psalms. And they suggested a way of reading or meditating, a careful study. And the content, which was his basic uh, main conclusion, that the purpose of the book of Psalms was to direct the faithful away from trust in human failing princes and rather trust in Adonai as king. So so the book, in its final form and through this kind of uh, redaction, spoke a clear final message. And what this kind of research essentially did was to open up a new era of research, the, the, the literary context of, of individual Psalms, uh, placing... Weight on where it was placed in in this kind of book uh, um, collection, and m- as we all know, many studies followed, and many strands of at least American research are indebted to Wilson, although uh, they all uh, take various parts. And if you would pick up a a study or introduction to the Book of Psalms, you could come across some kind of plot or storyline which uh, are 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 said to developed throughout these themes so that books one and two and two reflect the founding era of kings david and solomon for example we have a lot of of psalms attributed to david and and psalm 72 ends with like david's prayers to solomon and then book three uh, uh, depicts the decline until the babylonian exile which it's has its cry in psalm 89 and then book four uh, focuses on exile to the expectations of homecoming with Psalm 106, uh, phrasing that or formulating that uh, kind of prayer to to bring back the 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 dispersed people, and then Book Five concentrates on the reestablishment of Israel. So we have this kind of overarching plot that follows the history of Israel uh, uh, throughout the Book of Psalms. Uh, so that was mainly the contribution of Wilson and and. Uh, that's basically the story, but it's perhaps not the whole story because we have also the the German scholarship, with, which moved in a similar direction, but from uh, a slightly different perspective, not quite directly influenced influenced by Wilson, and and uh, here perhaps Hausfels and Zenger are the are the best representatives. Uh, And rather than looking at overarching frameworks and themes, they look at connection between juxtaposed psalms, uh, lexical, semantical, uh, motifs or thematical uh, and so on. Uh, And and try to reconstruct earlier collection, which is with its own theological stress and brought together, then uh, redacted together uh, in light of some overarching idea. And they found the purpose of the entire collection in the last edition, as, as Gunkel did. But this was uh, Psalms 145 to 150, rather. Uh, and their, their their idea is is that the book of Psalms had been transformed into a kind of temple of words, which was, of course, post, post-cultic and non-liturgical, with mm-hmm. uh, Psalms 1 and 2 as a joint introduction. Uh, so you could, in a way, say that despite these kind of mythological differences in, in American and, and German scholarship, there's a basic Broad consensus on the on the aspects of the effects on juxtaposing psalms, and, and an agreement that the final shape kind of speaks a message intended by by redactors. Uh, so, so that's basically how I would characterize the the state of the field uh, that I kind of enter into when I I formulate my dissertation.
0: I can think of a number of dissertations just within the last five years. Some of them concentrating on Book Four of the Psalms and developing the theme and Getting deeper into that sort of analysis. But in Mm. your book, you attempt to show that such holistic canonical or linear readings of the Psalter actually have some weaknesses in method. Can you explain that for our listeners?
1: Yeah, I I actually, when I started out uh, writing my dissertation, I was um, intended to work within the perspective or Methodological framework established by Wilson. I was convinced that that the the seams were important in understanding the theology of the Book of Psalms and so on. But as I started to read into it more deeply, and I I, I started to realize to myself, at least, convince myself that that there were some of the presuppositions of this kind of research that were did not hold up to to closer scrutiny. For example one of the what does it tell something book? Uh, what kind of apply? Uh, how was it read? Uh, I tried to look at some collections in the ancient Near East, and it struck me that the idea of a book uh, that was intended to be led, read in some kind of lecture continua was kind of anachronistic, uh, especially when we looked uh, when I looked closer at the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and saw the variation in the way songs could be juxtaposed there. Uh, so I tried to uh, not in a way give up on the notion of the book, but try to define it uh, in relation to the material with the help of the concept of, of anthology. And maybe we can come back to that later. But when I studied the comparative material uh, and the use of psalms throughout the Second Temple period, uh, I, I did not see that kind of of uh, presupposition hold up. So that was the first part. And the, the second part was that I, I thought there was sometimes a lacking... Um, uh, scholars lacked uh, a distinction between various unifying patterns. Uh, Were they reading synchronically, uh, trying to look at this kind of uh, heterogeneous collection as a composition, or were they looking at redactional features diachronically uh, to see how these collections might have looked prior to their edition, or was it a canonical argument? Uh, so I argue in my book that there's often a conflation of, of synchronic observations and diachronic reconstructions. Uh, and a way to frame that discussion and to, to assess the various functions ascribed to, to features of Psalms, I, I introduced the notion of, of uh, paratextuality, uh, which was coined by a French literary scholar, uh, Gérard Genette, uh, in his book, Paratext, Thresholds of Interpretations, uh, and Paratexts are basically uh, a way for me to put a word on and, 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 and theorize uh, uh, around what scholars are essentially claiming as functions for these kinds of psalms. Uh, when Jeanette defines paratext, he refers to elements that surround the text, extend the text to present it. Um they are not part of the text themselves, but but uh I mean basic features like superscriptions, like prefaces, like um like uh, epilogues and so on. Uh but and, and the third one that I that I had a problem with was the the uh often recurring linear uh and the masoretic <coughs> primacy in many of these especially when you study the Book four, for example, as you mentioned, uh, all of these kind of study, uh, suppose that uh, we can inquire into editorial and and by studying a specific sequence of songs that we know as the Masoretic One. But when we look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, that could not be taken for granted. You have to argue that. Do you want me to I I could take two examples just to exemplify this further, if you want me to. Yes, that would be helpful. I mean, if if we, I, I mentioned Wilson's use of author designations, so for example, he presupposes that there was a fixed order of psalms, uh, which was arranged by author designations, uh, and then that type or genre designations were added to smoothen over or, or enforce these kind of junctures. Uh, but actually, he doesn't claim that there was a fixed order, but he claims that psalms with similar type designations or genre designations were brought together to this effect, which was, would, would then indicate that the premises for his argument uh, would fail because there would be no fixed order and then no problem with the author junctures because there were, wouldn't have been any, any, any strong junctures and it would have been easy just to, to remove or, or rearrange these kind of uh, author-designated psalms. And there was also a problem with the doxologies uh, because many of his themes occurred uh, in his in his view throughout the the book divisions of the Book of Psalms. Uh, so in his argument, it would seem that they were in place prior to the adding of the genre designations. But the actual material that we have suggests the other way around. That is, that the genre and type designations were actually in place. At least prior to the Davidic superscriptions, and, and possibly also prior to the to the uh, doxologies added to the books, and we can see that quite clearly when we compare the Masoretic text to the Septuagint, for example, uh, which uh, has a lot of Psalms with Davidic superscriptions that are not uh, 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 attributed to David in the Masoretic sequence. So we see the way these kind of superscriptions are added in these in this other material and. Interestingly, we have scrolls in the Judean Desert that actually show us this kind of uh, Davidization process. Adding of superscriptions uh, give us a snapshot. Uh, if we look at, for example, the scroll, an old scroll named Four Q eighty-three, which is from the second century BCE, we have Psalm thirty-three there without a Davidic superscriptions. Uh, and then when we go later uh, to Four Q ninety-eight in the late 1st century or early 1st century CE, uh, we have it with Edavedic subscriptions. And we have a similar case in Psalm 104, which is found in two scrolls in 486 and 487. Uh, So we have this kind of... uh, clearer picture of Psalms increasingly gaining these author designations which would undercut the, the theory of Wilson that these were, would have been quite fixed and needed to be smoothened over or enforced by, by genre designation. And the other example is is uh, related to, to the work of Zenger and Hosfeld which focused much more on lexical links. Because uh, mm-hmm. there we have the idea that if you we have a lot of overlaps between vocabulary in two psalms, and if that kind of overlap also corresponded to thematic similarities, we could argue that they were intentionally juxtaposed. So a way of inquiring into this, I I looked at the way uh, Psalm 147 was found in different collections, because that is a psalm which we have in two different collections in the Qumran material and in the Masoretic collection and also in the Septuagint. And what is interesting is that in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have this psalm juxtaposed to other psalms, which are also Masoretic psalms, psalms 104, 105, and 106. So we know the vocabulary of these psalms, we can reconstruct it, and then we can compare the amount of lexical links. So I looked at uh, first the Masoretic text, and I concluded that, well, if we count the amount of lexical links, that will be 31 uh, and then I looked at the scroll 4Q86, and counted the lexic, possible lexical links in a similar way, and concluded well. There we have a significant increase of of lexical links. We have 48 lexical links, and the same number was found in the uh, 11Q5. And interestingly, there was also a thematic overlaps between these psalms that could strengthen this image further. So my question was basically, if we have this kind of increase in lexical links, should we also say that, well, well, this indicates that these songs were composed to their current position in these scrolls, uh, as it is often argued when you find these kind of connections in the mesoetic sequence? And my answer is no. Well, I think rather the method and, and the approach is is faulty. Uh, you have to approach these issues in some other way, rather than counting overlaps between Psalms because in the end, psalmody is quite repeated language, and we found that kind of language popping up in all kinds of places in the Hebrew Bible and 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 the Second Temple literature. Uh, so basically, that that to me led to a more fundamental uh, uh, critique of of uh, the work of of Wilson and, and others that promoted kind of, of of unified reading of the Book of Psalms. Uh, and I, I make uh, several of these kinds of observations in my study.
0: Now, is part of your argument that scholars have been depending too much on the Masoretic text?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, and and the way the, the reason I can say that is because when we look at the earliest attested scrolls with psalms, uh, the situation is quite different. In the Dead Sea, we have, or in Qumran, we have found... I think the the most recent number is 45 scrolls that in some way include psalms and the reason I say in some way is because we we shouldn't draw the conclusions that all these kind of scrolls are copies of a book of psalms uh, we have fragments that could include uh small fragments of of words to longer scrolls and the the longest is this this 5 meter long Uh, 11Q5, the 11Q Psalms A scroll, which has Psalms from book 4 and 5 in kind of a a different order than we have in the Masoretic text and also in in mixed with Psalms that are not part of the Masoretic collection. So we have this kind of um, uh, heterogeneous collections that do not uh, necessarily resemble in all cases the Masoretic sequence And since that is the earliest material we have, we have to at least consider that kind of material when we reconstruct parts of the book of Psalms and say that this is uh, reflecting editorial intent in in the way these are juxtaposed. The way I frame it in my book is that uh, I try to look at how Psalms seems to be juxtaposed, how sequences seems to be formed in in these scrolls. And I conclude that there are uh, several sequences which overlap quite significantly with the Masoretic text. So there would have been some kind of uh, tradition of, of uh, juxtaposing psalms in this time, uh, but that does not l- warrant the conclusion that there was a redaction intent to promote a certain reading of these psalms. That that would be linear. Uh, so, so that's the main point of my of my critique. I would say.
0: Uh, do you see your own research as? Overturning then the work of Wilson and others, or merely nuancing it.
1: Well, I, I uh, for the first, I I, I try to pay uh, my my homage to Wilson and, and his uh, legacy by in in the way I also structure my book. I structure it similarly in a way to to Wilson. So so I think that he made vital and significant contributions to the field. But as I frame my argument, I would say it is kind of a th- thoroughgoing critique of his perspective in a way, uh, kind of uh, questioning the way that he reconstructed the formation and also the, or primarily the answer to to why these songs were, were gathered into a collection. So, so I think we have a lot of points where we would disagree if we would sure had, had, had the possibility to meet such, such at some point.
0: Well, getting back to some of those questions. So for your doctoral dissertation, the fruit of it is this more Seebeck book, the formation of the Book mm-hmm. of Psalms. You tackle two big fundamental questions. First, how was the Book of Psalms formed and why? Lead us through your findings on that first question. How was the Psalter formed?
1: Yeah, thank you. That's that's a good question. And I mean, my study is uh, perhaps two bold to be a, a dissertation because I tried to join kind of material from kind of um, a broad area uh, of, 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 of study uh, into my, my argument. And the issue that I had to address when asking this question of how was the Salter formed was first, well, which tools are possible to use when reconstruction, reconstructing the formation. Uh, because I had discarded the superscriptions as indicators of earlier collections, because we see this increasing devitalization, Davidization, so we can't use that to trace back collections, at least not the Davidic ones. And I also argued that the doxologies were quite late, at least the doxologies added to Psalms uh, 89 and 41. So I had to look partially at quotes of Psalms in other literature to see, well, which Psalms seems to have been known at what periods of time. But then I remember. I mean, sometimes when we do scholarly work, we have these kind of epiphanies. Is perhaps the wrong word, but we have these breakthrough moments when we realize we, we we reach some conclusion that we hadn't hadn't uh, thought about before. And I remember I was reading this quite odd verse in Psalm seventy two twenty. Kalu uh, tefilot David ben Yishai. Here ends the the, the prayers of David, David's uh, son of Yishai. Uh, And, of course, that has been kind of an enigma for for scholars throughout time, because it's obvious that the Psalms of David does not end in the Masoretic sequence after Psalm 72, because there are other Psalms of David. And and, and we have all these kind of issues. I mean, Psalm 72 is not a Psalm of David. It's a Psalm of Solomon. Uh, uh, What kind of collection did it end and so on? Uh, But I was reading through some some work on, on scribal practices and I stumbled into some scribal colophones and then I started to 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 observe that there were some similarities between how Psalm seventy two twenty looked and how these kind of other colophones from the surrounding uh scribal cultures looked. And then I realized, well this might just have been a an old colophone and, and the basic function of that would have been then to uh, I mean, the kalfan was a scribal uh, activity where they uh, wrote down something uh, that related to the contents of a scroll. Well, to whom did this belong? Uh, from what copy was this copied? And what what does it contain? And so on. Uh, so my idea was that Psalm 70 to 20 would have originally concluded or filled such functions in relation to a scroll uh, filled with psalm scrolls and when i looked at, at uh, similar uh i also uh, noted that these kinds of expressions like kalu they they seem to feature in scrolls that were part part of of series of scrolls so to me that indicated that uh that such a colophon would have been added when the a collection of songs were large enough to to fill up more than one scroll possibly two scrolls uh, and so I tried to situate that into a discussion of, of how many scrolls would be needed to to um, to, to uh, keep all these songs that we have now in the Masoretic sequence. And, and so that became my starting point. Okay, now we have some kind of collection that is quite large that is concluded uh, or that, that has this colophon that has in some way become frozen to the psalm. And I had a parallel to that kind of frozen, freezing activity in the, in, in the Sumerian temple hymns. Uh, but that, that led me to, to, to suggest that, well, some point in history, we would have had this kind of uh, larger collection that eventually would not need to be uh, rearranged uh, in any significant way, but could have been quite stable in general, but not in, in, in regard to every single song that was included in it. Uh, so Psalm seventy two twenty became a starting point, and I suggested that the two scrolls that this Psalm could, this this verse so this caliphon could be added to, could possibly have contained Psalms one and, and one hundred nineteen. Uh, so I try when I I discuss how the Psalter was formed or how the Book of Psalms was formed. I tried to sketch three main stages rather than trying to reconstruct details in in how these psalms could be juxtaposed because that would be counter to my argument of 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 the the um, possibility of of reconstructing linear linear develop, development. So then I looked at the 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 phrase tef- tefillah uh, prayers of David, and I found some curious passages in Isaiah 56 and 2 Chronicles 6:40. Uh, which spoke of psalmody uh, with this this term. I mean, in Second Chronicles six forty, we have an introduction of, of a quote from thirty two with, with uh, uh Also, this position of these Torah psalms psalmody uh, with with Torah and, and the Levites and all seems seems to be connected to that. That was was my first like. Uh, stage where, where we could see a psalms collection growing or, or taking shape uh, in, the, in the post-exilic times. Uh, and the next step was that I saw that, well, we have uh, increasing citations of psalms. For example, we have the presence of a psalm in another psalm, in, in, in Psalm 135, which quotes extensively from Psalm 115, for example. We have this uh, Levitical medley almost in Second, 1 in Chronicles uh, 16, uh, where we have three psalms also known from the masoretic uh, Book of Psalms, uh, Psalms 96, 105 and 106, which seems to be quoted and, 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 uh, and presupposed some kind of collection of psalms, perhaps. And then we have this Levitical phrase, uh, Hodu Adonai Kitov, Akili Olam Chasdo, which reoccurred uh, at many places in chronicles and and in also in in the latter parts of the Masoretic Book of Psalms, we have these kind of uh, connections between them. So I should d- suggested that that the second stage was actually connected to to those psalms would have included those psalms. And I suggest that that the fivefold division, these these doxologies, these Baruch doxologies, would have been added at this point. Uh, so we have this fivefold division of a, a collection that linked it even more closely to to the way the the Pentateuch was was divided. <clears throat> and then the last stage would have been a a um, stage where where Hallelujah frameworks were added. And that eventually would have turned the entire collection into what we now know as the, the Sefer Tehillim, uh, which changed the the way it was referred to. And I look, I mean, now I, I I'm only speaking generally about my 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 conclusions. I'm not presenting the arguments in detail, of course. But <clears throat> I found traces of such a a, a formative stage, for example, in in the way Psalm 145 seems to relate the 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 Barakh uh, uh, terminology to the the Halal terminology and so on. Uh, So so the how question is quite generally answered in three major stages, uh, which, to my mind, uh, explains these kind of most explicit features of the Uh, paratextual features of the book of psalms the 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 colophon the the fivefold division and then the hallelujah frameworks so that that was my my main argument i would say
0: that is interesting thank you well let's go to your second question why were the psalms formed into a canon
1: yeah and actually when you when you when you frame the question that way you you in in a way uh, um anticipate my answer uh because the word canon I, i the way I, I ask the question in the book is, is uh, why were the Psalms formed into a book? And I, su- I suggest that the, the canon could be an interesting concept to include in, in, in the way I frame the answer. Okay. Uh, uh, because in a way, when I look at the comparative material, for example, I look at, at uh, some other kinds of similar collections of, of poetry and psalmody in, in other cultures. And especially when I look at the way it's it's done in, in Mesopotamian cultures, we see this kind of, uh, over time, a canonization of uh, poetry or literature that seems to have a great impact. Uh, and that would be the main way I would fr- frame the answer to, to the question why, is to use the term canon. Canon. Uh, it seems to me that over time, the, it, it it seemed clear that some of the psalms that were used, I, I, I think the, the Dead Sea Scrolls show clearly that there was a vast literature which uh, included psalms of various kinds uh, throughout the entire transmission period of, of the Book of Psalms. But some of these psalms eventually were seen perhaps as as durable language to express faith uh, in the various communities of faith that that use use these psalms in their interaction with with, with God, and and so these psalms were uh, revered and 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 and, and uh, used uh, in these in these communities, and also in the long run would would be given an authoritative status in the community. Uh, so I would say that the the Book of Psalms was not primarily a literary whole, but rather to be seen as a central container of authoritative psalmody, demarcating it from the rest of the possible psalms that were also used. Uh, So I tried to make a distinction between selection and organization. Uh, And that, to me, is quite crucial in in the way we argue uh, in relation to the, the, the shape of the Book of Psalms. Because I think there were... Uh, intentional uh, intentional uh, intentionality in the selection in the way songs were selected, but perhaps not in the same way in the way they were juxtaposed, arranged, organized. Uh, and I use a god named Anne Ferry, who says that uh, it could be seen as a physical embodiment and figurative representation of the tradition. These kind of collections. Uh, so, so in my mind, is kind of a creative dynamic. Preservation of a quite complex uh, collection, uh, and if related to my discussion of paratext, uh, I would I conclude that they do not perform the quite long going unifying functions that most scholars today would ascribe to them. Uh, and an example, of course, is Psalm One, which is almost unanimously viewed as a preface to the Book of Psalms. And when I look at the Psalm, uh, I uh, I mean, the main reason why it's it's argued to be a preface is is the first um, three verses where we have uh, this focus on Torah and meditating on the Torah, Uh, and Torah is often interpreted as in line with its basic meaning of instruction, uh, and including the book of Psalms into that kind of instruction so that the the, the Psalms... um, uh, are referred to in Psalm One, uh, so that when Psalm One speaks about meditating on Torah, it is essentially meditating on the Book of Psalms—a kind of reading instruction. Right. And to, my, and to my mind, the the way that Psalm, the the way that Torah is used in that Psalm, uh, because we have the expression Torah Adonai, and that expression is almost only found in. Um, kind of late literature. We have that in the Psalms, we have that in Psalm 1, Psalm 119, and Psalm 19, and we have it quite uh, a lot in in Chronicles. And the reference seems almost exclusively be the the Torah of Moses, or a Torah of Moses. So to my mind, that would be the most natural reference also in Psalm 1. So we would have a preface in that way that that did not point to the actual collection of songs but pointed the reader in, into an, a completely other di- direction so so that would be quite uh quite unusual for a preface and then i look at at the way this song was received and i see that well for the first uh period of, of its transmission if we look at the way it was used in in the dead sea scrolls we have a a pressure on on, on that includes a quote of Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 and also a lot of other psalms we have no indication of a prefatorial use and actually this kind of prefatory use uh, seems to pop up in the 3rd century uh, where we also have a kind of development in, in the book history where, where these kind of functions were expected to be found in the, these collections so I would say that Psalm 1 could be read as a preface but that essentially belongs to reception history of, this, of the book of Psalms rather than editorial intent for example so i draw these kinds of conclusion in relation to many of the paratext uh, and i have i have a long chapter on, on psalm one um, and i found quite a little support in for the current widespread idea that the psalms were intended to be read as in in, in the context of the book of psalms in in the in in, in, in the literary context uh, apart from the idea that the book uh, would be a container uh, in this case um and i looked as i said at the Qumran pesharim to see what kind of interpretive context is is presupposed in the way psalms are used there and so on uh, and suggest that the main effect of this paratexting or adding a paratext was uh, the devilization of psalms rather rather than than creating a kind of literary context for psalms that is interesting
0: I want to talk a little bit now about what factor, what role final editing plays in our interpretation by just getting on a very practical level. So let's mm-hmm. say there's a there's a pastor who's going to be preaching a series through the Psalms. Are you saying that there really is no real exegetical value to a particular Psalm's placement in the Psalter, whether that Psalm happens to be in Book 2 or Book 4, that basically each Psalm should simply be treated in isolation?
1: Well, that's that's an excellent question because I think many of 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 those who interpret Psalms and use te- Introduction to Psalms are using them in in the context in the context you're you're actually uh, referring to. But I would say that uh, that depends on on the focus. Uh, what 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 is the preacher or the scholar interested in? Are we asking historical questions or are we trying to? To to try to be construct con- theologically constructive, uh, because I can say I I mean I I held a paper in this year's uh, SBL annual meeting and, and I concluded my paper there on Psalms one and two why they are not to be considered a preface uh, with the two following uh, questions. So do I believe that Psalm one could be read as a preface to the Book of Psalms? Yes. So I answer that question affirmatively. Uh, but then I, I ask, do I believe that it originally functioned in such a way? And I say no. Uh, so my thesis is mainly trying to reconstruct and answer uh, the way we can w- what we can know about how the Book of Psalms came to be and what we can say about possible reasons why they were gathered. Uh, and a metaphor I use at the end end of my of my book is is trying to Um, maybe a a too simple metaphor, but I I, I refer to modern day cookbooks, where we have this gathering of recipes. uh, And we can have uh, headings or superscriptions that say, well, these kind of recipes, which are in this section, uh, are supposed to be uh, main dishes or, or whatever. And the the uh, we we can also look at the recipes and we can see many overlaps in in the ingredients and so on, but no one would would go from there from the the noted overlaps and and the the paratextual linking of these recipes and conclude that well we should mix all these recipes into one single dish and serve it, uh, and that's mainly also what I'm trying to argue in relation to the Book of Psalms that we ha- we have all these psalms that are individual compositions they are brought together and there there might be some reasons for some sequences why they are juxtaposed but that does not warrant us to read them as a single composition but if we turn to your question about the 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 pastor preaching i mean there could be <laughs> there could be uh, cases where you want to experiment and, and try to if we keep the metaphor uh, mix some ingredients from various dishes and try to to, to create something new so I, so i wouldn't say that my thesis uh, renders all these kinds of uh the expository preachings uh on psalms uh unnecessary or 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 problematic but but if you enter into the role as a scholar and try to answer historical questions uh, on how these psalms were formed i think that would be uh, another another matter entirely Um, I could take another example, for example, scholars often speaks of collections in the book of Psalms, uh, but it's not often made the distinction or it's not always clear whether they are talking about demarcated sequences in the Masoretic collection or something similar that that is a synchronic statement or as uh, previously independent collections, that is the diachronic statements. And, And to me, that's, those are quite different proposals. and, and, I mean, the way the Book of Psalms is gathered into a collection, I would say it, it, it's entirely possibly possible to read the Book of Psalms as I referred to in 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 in, in the beginning of our talk. I mean, this kind of uh, historical growing of a story from Book One to Book Five. Uh, but I, I have problems when 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 we claim that that would be have been an an intentional uh, gathering or arrangement of the psalms. Uh, I don't know if that's that makes anything clear. Yes, that makes sense.
0: Well, before we let you go, David, can you tell us about any other projects you're working on?
1: Yeah, actually, now I've uh, I just finished this uh, thesis in in spring. It got published now after after the summer, and, and this fall I've been doing a lot of teaching. Uh, and I look forward now to to the spring where I'll I'll be uh, finishing some articles which are kind of spin-off articles from from my dissertation but I'm also now currently applying for some funding research funding which is that's the way it works in Sweden you have to apply for for money for new projects and I will love to continue my focus on on the way insights from book history and material culture can shed light on, on, on the way we have Uh, interpreted or perhaps uh, often misinterpreted features in the text uh, and especially look at the way uh, the printing press might have affected our understanding of textual stability and compositional coherence, because I have a a, a, a sense that many of the readings proposed by Wilson and the scholars following him are presupposing a notion of textual stability that we can't really uh, apply uncritically to this ancient context where where we don't have books we have scrolls and we have we have various kinds of of uh, of way of dealing with these kinds of uh, psalms collections and so on so so that would be an area of 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 interest to me at, at least
0: sounds like you've got good labors ahead of you well david it's been great talking to you and hearing more about your book thank you so much for being with us on the show today thank you all right, friends, you've been listening to David Wilgren discussing his recent book, The Formation of the Book of Psalms. Thank you for tuning in to New Books and Biblical Studies. Until next time, goodbye.